Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Raider Nation, it's that time of the week again. Subscribe and tune in to get the latest news and analysis on all things silver and black. But yes, the Las Vegas Raiders have their guy, Josh McDaniels. Looking for objective opinions and interviews with A-list guests? Just pod, baby. Congrats on 100 episodes. I'm happy for you guys. Keep doing your thing, and thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Look no further. You are listening to Just Pod, baby. A Las Vegas Raiders podcast. Brought to you by SB Nation, part of the Silver and Black Pride Podcast Network. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. And now your host, Evan Grote. Welcome back, Raider Nation, and let's go just pause baby the week four preview show brought to you by SB Nation. Subscribe to the Silver and Black Pride Network wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, hop on Twitter and follow me at egroat 5 I keep you updated with everything that's going on with the podcast over there on Twitter. And this week, the Denver Broncos come to Las Vegas. The 2-1 and one Broncos. I know, it's hard to believe if you've watched them play. Currently, the second team, the second place team in the division behind the Chiefs, and the Raiders are still searching for win number one on the year. And we will get into the matchup with Denver a little bit later on. I do feel like they are in a similar situation as the Raiders, uh, at least offensively, despite having the two wins. They have struggled badly on offense. Russell Wilson has not looked like himself. Nathaniel Hackett is is getting some criticisms early on in his young coaching career. And that all kind of sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Uh, A quarterback and head coach getting a little bit of criticism right now. Um, On defense, they've had some some good things... uh, They've done some good things, and you know they, they've created some takeaways showing that they can get after the quarterback. We will go into that a little bit more in-depth when we take a deeper dive into the Broncos a little bit later on in segment one. And then in segment two, we will chat with Insider for ABC uh, News 7 in Denver, Mr. Troy Rank, and, and Troy has come on with me before. He always does a nice job for us. He knows this franchise as well as anyone, so you don't want to miss that conversation a little bit later on uh, in the show. But we start this week, unfortunately, with some controversy. And, and of course, when your team is off to a worse-than-expected 0-3 start, there's bound to be some controversy. And, and Raider Nation, I'm, I'm sad to say this, but we, we do have some of that this week. You know, I'm going to start with this this ESPN segment with, with Dan Orlowski. Um, you know, it's made its way around the Twitter world. It's been on... Um, you know, social media, it's been written about, it's been talked about on radio shows and whatnot. And I know many of you have, have seen the clip by now, and I apologize to those of you that are tired of hearing about this. But I feel this is important because um, it does shed light on to why the offense has been struggling. And really, it was the big news of the week surrounding the Raiders. So we, we got to talk about it. Um, you know, now this is an opinion uh, from a former NFL quarterback uh, Dan Orlovsky, who who understands offensive play design and and what defenses are trying to do to to slow down an offense, and I, I want to put this out there right away as well. 
Uh, I don't care the type of career that Dan Orlovsky had. We know that he was a career backup and didn't have a stellar NFL career, but to me that doesn't matter. What matters is, is he intelligent enough? Does he understand the game well enough, which he clearly does? And he is uh, able to explain the game from an X's and O's perspective. I saw a lot of people out there criticizing him, saying that they didn't want to hear what he had to say because he wasn't an all-pro. To me, that doesn't matter. So I wanted to put that out there right away. And what we'll do here is I'm going to play the clip from ESPN for you, and, and then I will give you my take. So let's go ahead and listen to that now. All right, so the tape always, or the defense always tells you where to throw the ball. The tape tells me that it looks like Derek Carr's purposefully trying not to throw the ball to Devontae Adams. To it your feels point. that way. Wow. Okay, look at this. This is a deep hook by Devontae Adams, and what you get is cover two up top. Now, everything is off this hook defender. If he goes with the wheel route, throw it to Devontae. Mm. He went with the real route. Devontae's wide open. <coughs> That's exactly where the ball should go. Not only it's Devontae Adams, but he doesn't throw it to him. All right, maybe right. it's only one clip. Down at the bottom, I have a curl flat. Number one defense that this place stinks against is cover two. Cover That's two. why you have somebody that yeah, sits hook. over the top of the ball. This is cover two at the bottom of the screen. That play at the bottom is dead. Devontae is not only the guy you want to throw to, but that's the person because of what the defense is that you should throw the ball to. Now down in the red zone, Devontae's going to run a quick fade versus inside leverage two man. Cut the split because I got space on purpose. The safety really doesn't matter. He wins off the line of scrimmage. I watched Aaron Rodgers throw that ball to Devontae a thousand (laughs) times against San Francisco last year. But he's not even looking over there on third and eight down in the red zone. He cut the split for a reason. That's only three clips because it's television. There's like six of them right. where the defense tells you because of what the, the, the scheme is on Not offense. Not the guy, the defense. Let's pretend they're X's and O's. They yep. don't have any reputation or name. The ball should go there because the defense, that's the worst play I can have given what my scheme is right. defensively. Right. The ball should go there. And it's Devontae Adams, and he's not even looking over there like six or seven times. Honest yeah. to God. Yeah. That's what's weird about it. All right, there it was. Now, now you couldn't see what – he was talking about, unless you, you go out to his Twitter page at Dan Orlovsky seven to see what he was talking about. But, and I don't believe that he was criticizing Carr necessarily. He was simply trying to show people what, what's going on in these games. He's trying to figure out just like the fan is what is going on. Why is Devonte Adams not more involved? Now he did make an accusation there that Carr is purposely ignoring an open Adams. And I thought that was a little bit strong. I didn't think that needed to be said. I don't think Derek Carr is consciously ignoring Adams as much as maybe he is just trying to do what the coach is asking him to do and and maybe to a fault. And and that's really where the problem lies. If there is one thing we know about Derek Carr, one thing we have learned about Derek Carr in the nine years that he has been with the Raiders, it is that he is a people pleaser. Carr is a guy that wants to be liked by everyone, teammates, people in the media, the fan base. I do think it hurts him badly that there is such a divide in the fan base with him. I think he's learned to deal with it over the years, but I do think that bothers him. And to the point of uh, to the to the point that he has made that he he wants to do what the coach has asked him to do. He has always spoke about doing that. Go back. Watch interviews from 2014, 2016, 2020. It doesn't really matter. I can say I've probably watched 90 to 95% of the press conferences that Derek Carr has given throughout his career. I've listened to them all. And he constantly says that. I want to please the coach. He talked about it with Gruden. He talked about it with with uh, 
was it Musgrave back in 2016. It's just what he does. Just like he always is taking, accepting the blame. I, I, it's on me. I got to be better. I got to do better. Put it on me. He always says that as well. And he did it again this this past week when he was asked about his response to Dan Orlowski. And we will take a listen to that in just a few minutes. But but getting back to the point at hand, why is Carr not throwing the ball to an open Devontae Adams? And sure, it's only a handful of plays in the course of an entire game. But why is it happening at all? You've got this guy who is a stud receiver who you go out and give all the money to and you, you, you give up the picks for, and you, he's your number one buddy. Why is he not getting the ball? That That's the question that everyone wants answered. And, of course, when you are losing games, the topic and the issue is, is magnified. And that's where the Raiders are right now. In my opinion, this is what I think is happening. I think Derek Carr is dealing with the issue of having an embarrassment of riches. He's never had this. Think about this. He's never had so many weapons available. And now they got Matt Collins, who's emerged as another weapon on top of what they already have. That guy can play. I was wrong. Everywhere you look, there's guys that can make plays on offense. And I think both he and McDaniels are struggling right now to figure out what it should look like, what what this offense should look like. And that goes back to what I have talked about, uh, about things taking time to mesh. And unfortunately, now that they're 0-3, there, there isn't the time there to be patient, to allow those things to come together. It, it has to happen much quicker, and that is that is what has the fans base uneasy. Finding the right balance between understanding that the defense wants to eliminate Devontae Adams, but still making him a part of the, the game plan. For example, Adams went targetless in the second half of, in Week 3. How is that even possible that in a game like the Raiders were in last week in Tennessee, that their best player doesn't touch the ball in the second half of the game, playing from behind? That can't happen. They, they, they cannot allow him to be completely taken out of the game plan. I know they're double-teaming him, and, they're, and the philosophy is, okay, we'll just go elsewhere. You know, Carr needs to find the happy medium between wanting to please the coach and at the same time improvising, adjusting in the moment, and, and then make the plays that are there regardless of what the coach has instructed him to do throughout the week in practice. Sometimes you just got to be flexible and just make plays. Go off script. And that's what the great ones do. That You see Aaron Rodgers make those kind of plays. Mahomes make those kind of plays. Now, I'm not trying to compare Carter Mahomes and Carter Rodgers and, and those types of players. But he needs to start incorporating a little bit uh, of their game into his own. It cannot be so rigid. Well, this is what coach told me to do, right? It, it just cannot be like that. But it, it goes back to that that point that I've made a couple weeks ago as well, that and you're hearing it all over the place, that there is a disconnect right now between what the coach wants the quarterback to do and what the quarterback is seeing and, and doing on the field. And this isn't a problem that occurs in every single play. They're completing passes. He's making the right reads at times. But, but these types of things are happening enough, as Orlovsky has pointed out, that you should be concerned. Everyone should be concerned. So... You know, that's my little take on that. Um, hopefully, they get it cleaned up. Hopefully, they can, again, continue with more time between the head coach 
and the, the quarterback and then the quarterback working with the receivers, you hope that the more reps they get, things will get better quickly. Now, I told you we would listen to some of what Derek Carr had to say in response uh, to Dan Or- Orlovsky's comments. He was asked about it on uh, Wednesday at his press conference. Let's take a listen now to what Derek Carr had to say. I, I don't think Dan is a malicious type. He never has been. You know, he, From the times I've ever talked to him, he was a super great guy. So I've I got no problem with Dan. That's first and foremost. And anything I say... I have to say that first because no matter what I say after that, that's all you'll see is on the headline, you know. But at the end of the day, like, I'm going to listen to Josh in my progressions and what he's telling me in the game, and we're trying to set things up to get the ball a certain place and all that kind of stuff. And it takes and it takes repetition. It takes time. You know, we ha- you know this is we're only three games in to us playing together again, you know, and uh, it hasn't been all bad, you know, and so. Um, for me to not want to throw it to him or anything like that, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Um, but but you can. I get what Dan's trying to say. You know, everyone wants to see Devontae get all the yards and all the catches. But if you flip him and Max numbers, no one says anything. You know. And so we talked about this before the season that there's going to be some times where that happens. You know, and we're going to be talking about well, where's this guy's targets, and then so where's Darren's targets, where's this, and and I and we knew this was coming. You know, I tried to I tried to warn everybody, but I knew that this would come, especially when Tay showed up and everyone was excited to watch us play together, right? Um, but again, I got nothing wrong with Dan. You know, I've always respected Dan and there's nothing there's nothing there for me. But um, but when it comes to the reads and and all that kind of stuff, I I'm just going to do the, do my best ability what Josh wants me to do. And there you heard it. You know, it, it takes time and it takes repetition, he said. I'm, I'm going to listen to Josh and my progressions and, and what he is telling me to do during the game. You know, I, I'm i not sure if that's the approach. I, I do think, as I mentioned, he needs to be a little bit more flexible and, and just, you know, do some things a little bit differently. doesn't always have to be the way the coach threw it up. Sometimes it doesn't always go that way. you got to be able to improvise, as I mentioned. One of the other things that he talked about was the fact that he warned us that this would happen. You know, that there were going to be games where Devontae didn't get the touches. And that's fine. And that's true. Because he's not always going to get 15 targets a game. He's not always going to catch 8 to 10 balls. It's just not going to happen. Um, Although I wish it would. The problem is this. The team isn't winning games. And sure, nobody would care if Devontae Adams didn't touch uh, catch the ball uh, in the second half of a win. But that's, that's not the case. That's not the situation right now. 17 receptions. On 36 targets through three games with an 0-3 record is the problem. So while I understand what Carr is saying, things would be a lot different if Adams wasn't getting the touches, but the team was 2-1. and one. But that, that's just not the case. So, um, you know, it's all about winning in this league. You guys know that. It's all about winning, and, and winning cures all, and it's just not what's happening right now with the Raiders, and that's why we have the controversy that we have right now surrounding this team. But anyways, I don't, I don't want to focus on the drama uh, anymore. Uh, I thought it was too important, though, to, to not discuss it. And as I mentioned, it really was the biggest news from the week uh, surrounding the team. But let's move along now. I want to start the breakdown. I want to get into the Denver Broncos this week's opponent. I will start with the offense, and uh, I will throw some stats at you. 14 points a game they're averaging right now. If there is any team that has to be as frustrated offensively as the Raiders. It has to be the Denver Broncos. Many thought the offense was was locked and loaded, me included, with the addition of Russell Wilson and some of the weapons they have for him there to work with, but it has not come together uh, for them. 18th in passing yards a game, last in scoring. They do run the ball fairly well with their with their two-headed monster of Javante Williams and, and Melvin Gordon, uh, but it's been a struggle. And, and, and so when we chat with Troy Rank, 
uh, he will fill us in with some of the, the reasons as to why the struggles have occurred for them on offense. Uh, a couple other names worth noting. Cortland Sutton is the go-to wide receiver for the team, leading them with 19 catches for 291 yards. No touchdowns yet. Jerry Judy only has seven catches on the year. And, you know, man, he's been a he's been a major disappointment to this point in his career. I know he has dealt with some some poor quarterback play, but a lot of people thought that that would be fixed this year. Not yet. Uh, I really like Javante Williams um, for Denver. He is a young and up-and-coming dual-threat running back. He is the team's number one rusher, although they do kind of split those carries 50-50 with Melvin Gordon. But he's also second in receptions uh, for the Broncos. See, he is a versatile player, and I think he could be a a real headache for the Raiders this week and their defense. I think also Cortland Sutton. I I think when you look up matchups, he's going to be an issue for them. He's got some size, um, and the Raiders are dealing with some injuries right now in the secondary. And although they did get some good news on Thursday with the injury report when Rocky Seen was able to get his second consecutive practice in limited, but he did get a second practice in this week. And then Nate Hobbs returned to the practice field on, on Thursday as well following a, a, a DNP as he is recovering uh, from the concussion. Uh, you do wonder, though, how healthy are they in the secondary? Merrig missed the game last week. You know, there's some guys that are, uh, Sam Webb is also listed on the report. So they do have some some guys that are banged up there. Um, so that is a matchup that I think will be key in this game, how the Raiders banged up secondary deals with some of the weapons for the Broncos. And, and then defensively for Denver, they have some talent on that back end with Patrick Sertain, the second, Ronald Darby, Justin Simmons. We've known about him for a number of years now, one of the, the top safeties in the NFL their defense has has forced four takeaways uh, on the year, nine sacks. They're only allowing 12 points a game, which is number two in the NFL. Um, you know, I, I'm curious to know how much of that has to do with some of the competition they've been playing against. That is one of the things I will ask Troy. Um, but there's a lot to like on that side of the ball. Randy Gregory was a, a big addition for them this past offseason. He and Bradley Chubb have combined for five sacks. And um, as a team, according to Pro Football Focus, they are ranked third. They're ranked as the the, the third highest um, graded team in, in pass rush grade. So they're getting after the quarterback right now. Randy Gregory has 14 pressures alone. Bradley Chubb has uh, nine. And then another player that I want to mention on that defensive front is Dr- uh, Draymond Jones. Uh, he's one of their defensive interior defensive linemen, and he's been disruptive as well with two sacks. I just mentioned the eight pressures. So between Gregory, um, who has who has uh, fourteen pressures, Chubb, who has nine and eight from from uh, Jones, the Raiders are, are going to have their hands full. The offensive line is going to have their hands full this week, and that is my second key matchup of the game. How will the Raiders' offensive line slow down that pass rush of the Broncos? Now, I think the offensive line has overachieved to this to to, to this point in the season. I know they had some issues against the Chargers in week one, but I think they settled down, played okay in week two, and played okay in week three. You know, could we finally see that offensive line who we who we all thought was going to be a major weakness on this team? Could we see them get exposed this week? Um, you know, how how well they can contain these guys, um, you know, is going to play a major factor in this game. And, and if they can't, if they allow those guys to get after Derek Carr, it could be a long day for the Raiders offense once again. So there was my quick overview of the time for Broncos. We are off to a good start here this week on the preview show, but I do need to take a break. And when I return, we'll be joined by Troy Rank, Broncos insider for ABC7 News in Denver. Don't go anywhere. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Just Pod, baby. Run down the field, on Your home for all things Las Vegas Raiders football. Raiders! News, views, and guests. Just win, baby. <laughs> There's only one nation, and they listen here. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Welcome back, Raider fans. This is Just Pod Baby of the Week for our preview show. And before we go out to the guest line, I do want to take a moment here to uh, send out my thoughts to all of our listeners down in the state of Florida, especially the southwest part of the state. Just a devastating storm that they uh, have had to deal with and are still dealing with. Um, obviously, that is a lot bigger than a football game for sure. Uh, but I do want to. I did want to make sure that I, I sent out my my thoughts uh, to those who have been affected by the storm. You are definitely uh, in all of my thoughts. Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna head out to the guest line now. Joining me on the line now is our guest this week. Here to help us preview the Broncos is insider for ABC7 News in Denver, Mr. Troy Rank is here. He has been a, a guest on the show before. He always provides us with great insight, and so I'm really looking forward to the conversation again. And, and Troy. I'm also interested to get your take because when you look at the Broncos record, it shows you two and one. They're tied for first place in the division. Um, and, and I would think that, you know, the organization has to be happy with that. But but what is the vibe like around the Broncos facilities? Are they truly happy to be two and one or are they not really satisfied with the start because of the way they have been winning games and they know that there is still a lot of work to be done? Yeah, I mean, they'll take two and one tied atop the AFC West. But, yeah, the reality is in Broncos country, it's been concerning the lack of offense. They're the only team in the NFL that has yet to score 20 points in a game. They're averaging 14 points a game. They had eight three and outs against San Francisco in a just brutally ugly game. And so that's the concern is when are they going to see kind of the real Russell Wilson, if you will. And you saw him at the end of that game with the Niners when he scrambled in the touchdown drive. But, yeah, they're happy with the record, but recognizing it's not sustainable to win games, scoring 14 points a game. So that's been most of the talk of Broncos country is when are we going to see this offense that's supposed to be able to score 22 to 25 points a game? And we have not seen that yet. Not panic, of course. It's only three games in. But that's really the issue is when are we going to see this offense start to click? Yeah, and I think that's one of the really interesting things about the matchup this week because we, we heard all about the, the upgrades made to the AFC West division, um, it, it, the addition of Russell Wilson for the Broncos and, and Devontae Adams for the Raiders. But as you mentioned, both offenses uh, have struggled, and, and it seems like they are both experiencing at least what Raider coaches are, are saying are growing pains and, and poor execution. And, and also, they both have had coaches who just aren't doing a great job right now. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's been a rough go for Nathaniel Hackett. He's a great guy, bright mind, but his inexperience has shown these first the first two weeks. It was better last week, but the operation and the process against the Seahawks to attempt a 64-yard you know, field goal instead of having 
Russell Wilson, go for it. I mean, we're all like, you let Brandon kick instead of Russ cook. Like it made no sense really. And then the following week, uh, 12 more penalties. They had 25 penalties in back-to-back games. That's the most in consecutive games in Broncos history. Uh, and so they bring on uh, Jerry Rosberg from – he had coached with the Ravens. He was in the NFL essentially for 20 years, but most notably with the Ravens from 2010 to 2018 as John Harbaugh is kind of right-hand man. And he's in the booth now, and that is helping uh, clean up the operation because the data analysts that Hackett had hired, frankly, just had no experience. You know, Brad Miller, he just was – did not have enough experience for the role. Justin out and the offensive coordinator has never been in that position. So it, that helps solidify that. Um, and now they're just trying to figure out where does this offense intersect with Hackett and Wilson? Cause Hackett has said, surprisingly, it's about Russ. And at some point the offense needs to be about us. Like they've got to blend some concepts here. And frankly, Russell Wilson, for me, he just, he can't be just a drop back, stay in the pocket, go down the middle of the field passer. That's not who he is. Now he can do it, but there's got to be a, a medium here where we see him scramble and make plays off script. And, and some of it looks like Russ is, you know, trying to become a different type of quarterback. I get that, but for them to get this offense rolling, I think he's going to need to go off script more. So, so it sounds like from what you're telling me, and I haven't watched, you know, all the Broncos games, I've seen bits and pieces of it. And, and obviously the offense has, has really looked bad, but it, it sounds like he's he's being a little bit misused, or or is there more to it? I know that there's there's weapons there around him, you know, so there there should be plenty of um, you know explosive plays available. Is it the offensive line that's struggling? What exactly, if you had to pinpoint one thing, what is what is the cause or concern for some of the struggles on the offense? Well, the, the red zone's been a disaster until last week. They're one for seven in the red zone, and so that's worse than the league. They had two fumbles down there against Seattle. That was an anomaly game where they dominated Seattle, but they turned it over twice at the one-yard line in consecutive possessions, which has not been done in the modern NFL. So that was that game. In the second game against Houston, they had drops. Now, they're second in drops, so if you're asking, like, there's a confluence of factors. Russell Wilson's trying to get comfortable with the new coaching staff and new offense and trying to slightly reinvent himself a little bit all in this you know three-week span. They didn't play at all in the preseason. And then you have six drops. You had a team that was wildly penalized the first two games, and you had red zone issues. So, I mean, all those conspire to make you bad offensively. But to go move forward, they need to continue to show balance. When they do that, they're decent because you have Javante Williams, you got Melvin Gordon, guys who are you know running it off at five and a half a clip, basically. That is where their best is show balance. You get under center a little more and allow Russell Wilson to move the pocket and get in the bootleg and move the pocket. I think that's where they're going to start to click. And part of it, they need another receiver to step up. Cortland Sutton has been a dominant target for Russell Wilson. He's got 19 catches. The next closest receiver is Jerry Judy. It's like, I think it's nine off the top of my head. He, he missed most of the second game, but <clears throat> they need to get him going. He had one big play, a 67-yard touchdown against Seattle. He's been quiet, again, partly because he was injured in the game two. But the other receivers have been pretty quiet, and the tight ends are not much of the passing game other than you know one pass to Eric Saubert. So they just had some issues. They had some issues. They will tell you, Evan, that they're close, You know that they're this close, and it's starting to click. I would say as they show more balance and get under center more, move the pocket, we will start to see this offense start to gain some traction. But it's just it's been a little unnerving for Bronco fans who know everything about terrible and bad and boring offense. 
they thought it was going to be different, and it, it really hasn't through three weeks. But again, there's time. We are chatting with Broncos insider Troy Rank from ABC News 7 in Denver. You know, one of the other additions that got some headlines this offseason for the Broncos was bringing in Randy Gregory, who rejuvenated his career in Dallas and then became a free agent. And I see that he has a couple of sacks on the year, doing a really good job of creating some pressure. How has the combo of Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb looked uh, coming off the edge for for Denver? Yeah, dynamic, and it's been, frankly, more than I expected because we weren't sure about the availability of Gregory. He missed all of training camp as he was coming back from shoulder surgery, but he has been just a a disruptive player. He's he's forced two fumbles. He's got a couple sacks. He's in top ten in pressures in the league. Bradley Chubb's got three sacks on the other side. I mean, this is what they had hoped for, and those two have lived up to expectations through three weeks. And part of the reason the defense is one of the best in the NFL right now in terms of points allowed, they've, they've only allowed six points in the second half of three games. They haven't allowed a touchdown. Uh, they're creating more takeaways under new defensive coordinator, uh, Ajero, where they're pressuring, they're blitzing a little more. It's a more aggressive. It's the same kind of shell that they ran under Vic Fangio, but much more aggressive in getting to the quarterback. So Gregory's lived up to reputation. Now he, he nearly stayed in Dallas, then he was going to go to Indianapolis, he told me, uh, but their quarterback situation was unsettled at the time because he's from Indianapolis. He grew up there, and he said he came to Denver because of Russell Wilson, and he's delivered. He's, just, he's been a very athletic, disruptive player. He's taller than I thought. When you see him, he looks like a basketball player. He's almost 6'6", long, lanky, and just a guy who, who can really make plays, and so far – Everything he's been everything they expected and more. Coach Josh McDaniels for the Raiders said Patrick Sertan and Ronald Darby could be the best cornerback duel the Raiders face all year. What can you tell us about those two and the overall play of the secondary right now? Yeah, listen, Sertan, I've said this on air and, and written it. I mean, receivers when they go against Sertan, it's it's Chick fil A. They're not open on Sunday. I mean, he's that good. <laughs> he's, he's that guy. I mean, he's becoming a Pro Bowl, All-Pro type cornerback in only his second year. He's so technically sound. He's just, even if he gets out of position, his recovery speed, his angles, he just plays like a veteran. And he plays quiet. There's no panic in his game. And Ronald Darby's really improved. Uh, they signed him to be the number one corner last year. And he dealt with hamstring issues. And one thing I noticed with Darby, he needs to practice. And when last year when he got hurt, and he missed, you know, three, four weeks, and he came back. It took him a couple weeks to get going. When he practices on the regular, he's steady. I mean, he's won a ring with uh, the Eagles, and he was really solid with Washington a couple years ago. That was more in man coverage than zone. But he looks like now in year two in this defense, he's more comfortable. He spent time. He was one of the first guys out every day of training camp on the jugs machine. You know, he hasn't had an interception in almost, you know, three years, but he's just in better position to make plays and, I, you know, I don't know if they'll be the best tandem, but with Sertan, I'd be shocked if he's not a minimum a pro bowler. And if Darby can play, you know, 15, 16 games because injuries have kind of dogged him throughout his career, if he stays healthy, they have the chance to be one of the better tandems. And Kwan Williams at Nickelback is solid. The kid they got, not a kid, but the guy they got from San Francisco, again, the, he I don't see he's been an upgrade, but he's just been steady. And so their defense is strong right now. And, and you got you know how it works. I mean, it's working in conjunction with the pass rush. So they're not having to cover for five seconds. The pass rush is getting there. They're getting pressure from the middle and the outside. And it's putting the corners in p- better position to make plays.
Absolutely. Uh, a good pass rush is, is one of the best things you can do for a, a secondary. Now, uh, one last thing about Sertan. Now, will, will he travel, like, you know, with Devontae Adams, will he travel all over the place where Adams goes, or is he going to strictly be uh, staying to one side of the field? Yeah, we asked Coach Agaru about that today, and he just said, you know, he's not going to give up the game plan. Sertan could, and what Coach Averill has talked about, Evan, is putting Sertan in position to make plays when it matters most. So I don't expect to see him travel around the field with him, but if it's third and eight, you know, midfield, I could see him there. Like that's Because if you go back and watch how they use Jalen Ramsey with the Rams, and it's not the star position per se, like they use it as kind of a hybrid position, but they moved Ramsey around to make plays. And I love that. You know, you want your best players in position to make plays. And so that's what I would look for. But when I watched the Titans game, and you, you obviously watched it more closely than me, they basically bracketed Adams and double teamed him. So that's why could the Broncos do some of that with Darby and help over the top with the safety and then leave Sertan to blanket the other receiver. And then on big moments, third and five, third and eight, that's when I would expect to see Sertan on Adams. Yeah, you know, I do have one more that I, I would like to ask you before, before I get you out of here. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the defense here, and you, and you mentioned some of the things they do well. How much of a factor, though, do you think um, goes into that when you look at some of the offenses that they played against, led by, you know, Geno Smith in Seattle, Davis Mills of, you know, with the Texans, and then, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo coming off the bench last week for the 49ers? Do you think that's a factor in, in some of those numbers that the defense has right now for the Broncos? Yeah, there's no doubt. Now, I'd say San Francisco's offense is talented because until they faced the Broncos, they were one of the best running teams in the league. They were running at, I think it was 182 yards a game the first two. Uh, the Broncos held them to 88. Uh, but you're right. I mean, San Francisco and Houston, or excuse me, Seattle and Houston are going to end up, for me, ranked in the bottom five offensively. That's why that loss, frankly, to Seattle, it could come back to haunt the Broncos if they get right on the playoff number. But, yeah, that's definitely part of it. And you know, the, the league is quarterback-centric. When you look at matchups, the Broncos have had a clear advantage at quarterback, and they've played two offenses that, you know, aren't considered great. Now, Geno Smith absolutely just lit them up. I think 17 for 18 in the first half. And they had some communication issues, and it showed up that they didn't play in the preseason, uh, especially in that environment. That's, that's the loudest Scott I've ever heard in my life in 30 years of covering professional sports. But, yes, that has helped the defensive numbers. I mean, you can't be naive to that. But you can only play the schedule in front of you. And sometimes what happens when I've covered teams is you get so good early, you just start to think this is who you are. It becomes your identity. So while as, as writers and broadcasters, we see it through a wider lens of, yeah, you're not playing anyone. But sometimes, you know, when you get this kind of confidence, it just becomes who you are. And I've seen that with this defense. They're getting swag. They've got personality. They're talking about themselves in terms of we want to be the best defense. And, yes, these three opponents have not been great. But sometimes it can carry into becoming who you are. And the Raiders will be a challenge. I think they've beaten the Broncos six straight on the road. Denver was 1-5 and five against the Raiders under Vic Fangio. This has been a weird rivalry because it hasn't been – it's been lopsided throughout. You know, the 70s, 60s, and early 70s, the Raiders dominated. When Mike Shanahan took over, he absolutely owned the Raiders for the better part of, you know, 10, 12 years. And now it's – the pendulum swung completely back where the Raiders over the last – since Peyton Manning retired have dominated this rivalry. So Denver, if they're going to be a contender – They've got to win games like this. They've got to split in the AFC West. At the very minimum, go three and three if they're going to the playoffs. 
Once again, an excellent preview and rundown of the Broncos from our guest, Troy Rank. Troy, we always appreciate the time you give us, and, and thanks again uh, for the time, and, and I hope you enjoy the game this week and, and keep up all your great work. Appreciate it, you man. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. And there he goes, Troy Rank, as good as they come as far as giving a breakdown is concerned. He always comes prepared with stats and data. He covers the team so well and, and does a really great job, and that's why I love having him on uh, during Broncos week. But that is going to wrap it up for this week. Although both offenses have been struggling, I do believe this could end up being a, a pretty competitive game. Could this be the week or will this be the week that both of these offenses finally break out and, and show what we all expected them to be this season? The Raiders are favored by two and a half points to win this game. I think it will end up being another closely contested game for the Raiders. Can they finish this one off? We'll just have to wait and see. Big thanks again to our guest, Troy Rank, this week. You will hear from me again Monday on the Recap Show. Until then, everyone, have a great weekend. Enjoy the game, and as always, just win, baby.